Hi, I'm Jalen Rose, and welcome to the Renaissance Man podcast, proudly presented by the New York Post. Next up, we have legendary, world-renowned chef, Wolfgang Puck. He has restaurants around the world and household items you can find in your local grocery store. We're going to talk to him about overcoming an abusive past, expressing love through food, and discovering his flavor profiles. Up next, Wolfgang Puck. Hi, I'm Jalen Rose, and welcome to the Renaissance Man Podcast, proudly presented by the New York Post, a show where we cover trends in fashion, entertainment, current events, and everything in between. Download the podcast right now. Hit up one of your friends, coworkers. Tell them to download the podcast right now. Leave your comments. And by the way, I had a couple of people that were gracious enough to take time out of their lives to leave a comment. Big shout, Wayne H49, who says, Jalen, I appreciate all you do for the culture. As an educator, I respect the positive influence on the young and those of us who are a little bit more seasoned. Big shout, Wayne H49. Seasoned like Lowry's. And E. Sestro says, I want to make sure I spell it, C-E-S-T-E-R-O. He says, what up, though? Huge shout out to Jalen Rose, a man to dedicate it to get the people what they want. I love the diversity of the topics and how he ties each guest to the dedicated podcast title. That's what I want to provide here because I feel that's what's missing in the industry. Creativity. This week's theme is flavor profiles. We all experience flavor differently. We all have different palates that change as we age. But the one thing that is universal is food's ability to bring people together. There are adventurous eaters. And those of us that would rather play it safe when it comes to cuisine. I have to admit, for a long time, I stayed away from cold seafood. When I first got introduced to eating shrimp, it was shrimp cocktail with the great sauce and everything. Oh man, I got to try that. Looks good. My mom loves seafood. I tried it. Felt like it was too slimy. Didn't really like it cold. As I got older, I discovered something. Red lobster. My mom took me there one time and I had hot lobster. Game changer. Now, when I was young, one of the motivating factors in my discipline and my sacrifices and my work ethic is that I wanted to get rich one day so I wouldn't have to eat cold cuts. So again, discovery is the key in life and trying new things is how we learn about ourselves and the world around us. My next guest has an exquisite flavor palette. His knowledge of international cuisine has made Wolfgang Puck a household name. And today, we're going to talk to him about immigrating to America, taste testing in the kitchen with Picasso, and his new documentary on Disney+. Plus. Up next, Wolfgang Puck.
Hi, I'm Jalen Rose, and welcome to the Renaissance Man podcast, proudly presented by the New York Post, a show where we cover trends in fashion, entertainment, current events, and everything in between. Our next guest is a world-renowned chef and restaurateur. He owns multiple James Beard Awards and Michelin-starred restaurants in the United States and internationally as well as a line of housewares. And I know you've seen his line of soups at the grocery store. I am honored to welcome a legend, Wolfgang Puck, to the Renaissance Man. Thank you so much for this amazing introduction. You know what? I feel like I'm working too much or something. (laughs) (laughs) I really appreciate you joining the show. And full disclosure for everyone, I'm a huge fan of this man, so much so, I saw him at one of his restaurants, Four Seasons Barclay, cut. I was in there, I was holding down the bar, I was having drinks, I was ordering food, and then the legend was there. And you know what, guys? I was scared to go talk to him. (laughs) I was scared to go talk to him. So I appreciate you joining the show and all you've done for feeding and entertaining people like myself. So I'd like to ask you, where did you grow up and where did your love of food originate? Well, I grew up in Austria, in the southern part of Austria, near Italy and Slovenia. And in a very poor circumstances, you know, I didn't know we were poor in the countryside. We had no electricity, no plumbing in the house. We want to go to the toilet, you had to walk like uh, at least a hundred feet through the garden and to a little shack outside that was our toilet. And in the winter we had three, four feet of snow. So it was not a fun thing to go out at night in the darkness and so forth. So even to eat, you know, even I have great souvenirs of the food. My mother was a chef also, a professional chef. So she was an excellent cook. So my best childhood memories are about food. But I had a stepfather who was totally crazy. He was totally abusive to me and my sister, both emotionally and physically. So I could not get uh, time to get out of my house. I was like, wanted to leave when I was 12. So finally, when I was 14, I found, or my mother found me a job to be a cook apprentice. And my stepfather always told me, you're good for nothing, get out of the house. You know, I'm feeding you, I'm spending money on you and you never will achieve anything. So he was so negative and crazy. And naturally he used to hit me and abuse me verbally. And even my sister, the same thing. So at 14, I left my home move 50 miles away. You know, at that time we didn't have television at home. We didn't have a telephone, nothing. So if I wanted something, I had to write my mother a letter. So it was not like communicating and we didn't have a car. So I had to take the train for an hour if I wanted to go home, but I didn't want to go home. But unfortunately three weeks into my apprenticeship in this hotel called Post Hotel, the chef there was as crazy as my stepfather. We ran out of potatoes and mashed potatoes and got no water. And I was 14 years old and maybe five foot tall. And he called me over and says, you're fired. You're good for nothing. He went on and on renting and raving. And I said, oh, my God, my pred- the prediction of my stepfather uh, are coming true. 
So that night I was standing on this big bridge over the river and I said, I'm going to jump in the river. I don't going to go home. You know, that was the last thing I said. I killed myself before I go back home to face my stepfather. So and now also into standing there as a kid, you know, 14 oh. years old, all of a sudden a light bulb went up and I said, I'm going to go back tomorrow and see what happened. So naturally I went, I had a little room there and I went back to my room, couldn't sleep all night. And in the morning I arrived there and the apprentice who was ahead of me was happy to see me so that way he didn't have to peel potatoes and carrots and onions. And he hid me down in the vegetable cellar and I was peeling my potatoes and everything. And uh, uh, two weeks later, the chef comes downstairs and sees me sitting there on a milk crate peeling. And, you know, he grabbed me and said, get out of here. You're good for nothing. Go back home to your mother. Come back another year if you grow a little bit better, a little higher and so forth. So then I just dug in my heels. I was holding on to my potato bag there and he tried to grab me on my shoulder and, and sent me out. And I screamed, I'm not leaving. I'm not leaving. I'm not leaving. That was all I could say. I'm not leaving. You know, I was like so tight. And then he called the owner of the hotel and the owner came down and said, I don't know what the chef said. I don't know what to do with this little guy. He's good for nothing and he's too young and this and that and he should go back home. And I said, I'm not going home, I'm not leaving. And so he had a little bit more empathy and sent me to another small hotel they owned in town. Over there they had a lady who was the chef and she was a little bit nicer to me. She said, just be quiet, don't do nothing, do what people tell you to do and that's it and everything will be fine. And that's how it started. Wow, that is incredible. So there's so many follow-up questions I have to your turbulent journey that has put you in position to be so very world-renowned. And the, one of the things I appreciate about the opportunity to do this show is so many times we can appreciate the finished product and go into your restaurants and see that you're acclaimed as Wolfgang Puck, but underestimate the fact that you were abused growing up that yep. you needed to leave home to find your way, that you attempted, you thought about attempting suicide. Yeah. So for those young people and adults that deal with circumstances in their lives professionally or in their homes, can you just give them a guiding light of some of the things that you have in your head or circumstances you have in your heart that can help them overcome those tough, tough times like you were able to do? You know, we have so many young kids out there who are in broken families, you know, who the father is abusive, the father is alcoholic. But I really think sometimes adversity makes you stronger. You know, these crazy times with these crazy people who have no mercy, no empathy, you know, they make you fight even harder. And I really was out there to fight my my stepfather and you know when I was 17 it wasn't enough I finished my apprenticeship I moved farther away I moved to France and started to work there still didn't know if I'm gonna stay in the cooking profession but then when I was 19 I went to a three-star restaurant in south of France called Beaumania in Provence and there I found my mentor and I think that for young people is really important mm -hmm. Somebody to look up to, you know, yes. somebody to say, wow, you know what, I want to be like this guy. Well, 
he was amazing. He was at that time 70 years old and he was so passionate about food. He was passionate about the guests and me being a kid, 19 years old, I remember him bringing Picasso in the kitchen, bringing Elizabeth mm -hmm. Taylor in the kitchen, bringing the French wow. president, George Pompidou in the kitchen. But the food we cooked was so amazing. It was so different than what I experienced. He had like six gardeners. They bought us the smallest green beans or the best, sweetest peas or amazing strawberries and melon and so forth. So we had these amazing ingredients and we keep it really simple, but it was really one of the great restaurants, one of the great experiences. And he was the first one who trusted me. Can you mm -hmm. believe? He was 70 years old. There were like 20 people in the kitchen and I was working on the sauce station. You know, making sauces in France was always the thing. You know, if you could make great sauces, you're a very great chef. Mm -hmm. And when he, one day he took like three days off, like after I was there six months or so, and he said, I want Wolfgang to be here because I know he makes the best sauces. I know mm -hmm. when I'm gone, I want him to do that. And that gave me so much confidence that I felt so much better about myself. So I said, here I am, 19 years old, and it's, uh, it's the first time somebody actually was very positive and at the highest level. You know, it's like if you come, uh, you're not a good basketball player and you go play for the Lakers, forget about Chicago or somebody like that. But, right. you know, you arrived at the top and this was one of the top restaurants, one of the 10 best probably in France and in Europe. So to me, that changed my life. And I said, I want to be like him. I want to cook, you know, I want to cook like him and hopefully one day open a restaurant and be the chef and be able to greet the customers. And you know what? I had the dream, I shot very high, and the dream in a way came true. Immigrating later on to America, first to Indianapolis, where I saw my first basketball game in Indianapolis with the Indiana Pacers. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, I didn't know how to play basketball. We were in school, uh, we played basketball, it was uh, eight to six, the score. Nobody could hit the basketball. <laughs> and here I saw this amazing athlete. So, it was really learning about the American way. Cooking was a different story than Indianapolis because I cooked more steaks well done in Indianapolis in one year than mm. the <laughs> We'll talk about that. <laughs> I assume that they looked a lot like me. And when we go to restaurants, for some reason, we want to make sure we get the steak well done. Is it true that they give you the worst one they have in the house because they're upset that you asked for a well done? <laughs> You know, when I was really young, I would not have given you a steak. I remember telling the waiter and says, go to, tell the guests to eat a chicken, not a well done steak. I don't want to cook well done. So the customers got upset. I remember one time uh, a famous publicist uh, came with Paul Newman to the restaurant. And uh, they ordered the steak well done. He or the publicist, not Paul Newman, ordered the steak well done with the baked potatoes. So first, I didn't want to put cook a steak well done. And then uh, uh, I didn't want to make put, uh, baked potatoes. So I told the waiter, tell Mr. Cowan to go to, uh, uh, I think it was Lloyd's or some kind of a steakhouse and go there and pick up the potatoes and tell him to eat a chicken with it. So, <laughs> but then when I opened Spago, I said, you know, this is a business. I want to make customers happy. I, it's not about me. It's about the customers. So that really changed my life. I said, you know, 
I can't be so arrogant and say I'm cooking the way I like it. I have to cook the way the customers like it. Well, that's normally what happens with creative people, athletes, musicians, the exact same thing. You find yourself, am I making this music or this food for me? Or am I doing it for the customer? Yeah. And to your point, as you started to evolve, you realize that your love and your passion and how you like to look and view and taste and eat things is something that you got to allow the customer to do it their way. And you mentioned some huge names. I want to, you said Paul Newman, you said Elizabeth Taylor. Did I hear you say Picasso? Yeah. Did I, did I hear you? Please tell me a story, anything. So Picasso came in the kitchen with Raymond Tullier, the owner of Beaumania. And, you know, Picasso lived in the south of France, too. And that was a famous restaurant. And Tullier, the chef, also painted, but not, obviously, nobody was like Picasso. It's like, you know, the king of uh, mm -hmm. the art world. So when he came in the kitchen, I still remember I was making a duck sauce, the sauce for a duck à l'orange, the traditional French dish. And we always made it look red. So we put a little food coloring in it. So it has this beautiful color, like blood orange or something. And Picasso came and looked into the pot and says, oh, beautiful color. And he wanted to put his finger in. I said, don't put the finger in. It's boiling hot, please. And uh, so he, he moved away. And uh, for me, it was like an experience. Or when I saw Elizabeth Taylor, you know, remember that was in the 70s. She was maybe... A legend. 35 years old, and she came in the kitchen as a young kid. I said, oh, my God, this is like the most beautiful woman in the world mm -hmm. with her eyes looking. And, I mean, it was amazing. And so many other ones. I remember, like, we had different houses there where people could sleep, like a hotel, but with different buildings. And they had this famous actor, Peter O'Toole, you know, a famous English actor. He was shooting a movie down in South of France. And he used to drink whiskey every night and everybody went home by 12 o'clock and the owner said, well, why you don't take him home down to the hotel and uh, because you live very close. I said, okay. And I had a little motorbike. So I had Peter O'Toole on the back, hanging on me, dragging his feet on the floor. And then I dropped him <laughs> off in his apartment there. Oh, that is awesome. What terrific memories and food for me is a feel-good thing. Yeah, I'm always the person when I have friends and family over wanting to cook, trying to make sure the food is hot. And so I take passion and pride in what I eat and what I cook. And when I knew that I was going to have you on the show, I wanted to create a theme that I felt like you'd appreciate. And the, fla right. and the theme of this episode is flavor profile. Okay. Here's why. You're from Austria. You started your former culinary training in France, yet you've opened up restaurants worldwide. How has cooking and experience, experiencing various flavor profiles changed your worldwide view since starting out? Well, I tell you, just moving to Los Angeles was really eye-opening for me. Why? Because we have so many different cultures here. We have a Chinatown, a little Tokyo, Koreatown, little India, Olivera Street, where the Latinos are. And I saw this is the most amazing city because you didn't have to go to a different country. You drove uh, half an hour and you were in a different country, you know, to get the traditional Korean barbecue 
or going down to Oliveira and getting the best tacos and the best guacamole and uh, things like that. So, or the best mole. So to me, Los Angeles is really a great place for uh, a restaurant, for a chef, because you get so many cultures, not only to speak of all the Japanese restaurants, here, the fish markets and everything. I went with my friends from a Japanese restaurant to the fish market to buy the same fish the Japanese uh, restaurants bought because they buy the best fish because they serve it raw. So LA was great. But when we started to open restaurants abroad, I remember the first one was in Tokyo. Naturally, I went to Skichi, then the fish market there, bought all these wonderful things. But instead of transporting Spargo to Tokyo, I saw all these great fish. I almost made Spago into a Japanese restaurant because mm. I got so excited with the ingredients. And only a little bit later, somebody told me, you know, if we want Japanese food, we can go to a Japanese restaurant. We want Spago food. <laughs> and uh, wherever we go to, you know, we try to adjust a little bit and adapt to different countries. We are opening uh, this month uh, Spago in Budapest in Hungary. And you know, incredible, congratulations. Yeah. yeah, so it's really a lot of fun. I gonna learn different things. I haven't been to Budapest, even if it's very close to Austria, we bought a Budapest, uh, Hungary, but I haven't been since I was 16 years old. So get to get the culture, taste the wines there, taste the goulash and some of the dishes they do there, I think directly there will probably influence me a little bit, but we still have to, export our style, you know, and then add a little bit of local flavors. And especially what we do is use local ingredients. Even when we open a restaurant in Bahrain, you know, the tiny island in the Gulf uh, uh, of uh, per the Persian Gulf there. And, you know, there are farmers there who grow vegetables, salads and things like that in big tents. Why? Because it's so hot there, so they have to keep it enclosed. And they have air conditioning in it to keep the temperature down. I mean, but I supported them. They were so proud. I know one of the sheiks there is a farmer. He runs the farm system and he tells the, the workers there and says, you know, Wolfgang Park is using our vegetables at Spago and at Cut at the Four Seasons Hotel. And they are so proud that we did it. We used their vegetable and now they're selling it to local markets also. Oh, I'm glad you went there because I've had David Chang on the show. I've recently had Chef Kwame Nwachi on the show. Yeah. On the podcast. And we talked about the importance of creating a narrative throughout each course. So what is your thought process when creating a menu? Well, really, for me, a menu is really a spontaneous thing. You know, mm. I don't like to plan a menu far ahead. I like to go to the fish market, to the farmer's market visit the farm, buy the ingredients, and then sit down with my chefs, maybe with, not with all of them, but with the chefs and sous chefs, maybe four or five, and says, what would you do with these carrots? Would be roasted slowly in the oven with maybe some uh, Moroccan spices and a little honey and a little touch of cinnamon, a little salt and pepper, or would we just steam it or stir fry it? So everybody has their input. Or I bring a a bunch of live shrimps or crabs or whatever and says, how are we going to make them? Chinese style, Indian style or Thai style or maybe American style, like if we get soft shell crab and just tempura them. So it's a mixture of uh, American ingredients, but with a Japanese flavor. So 
for me, cooking is spontaneous. In a way, I always tell the people, cooking is like making love. You don't make a big plan before. <laughs> and sometimes you don't plan the ending either. How about that? Yeah. <laughs> what is one of the biggest lessons that you have learned? You know, my biggest lesson is don't take no for an answer. You know, if people tell me you can do that, I look at them and I said, what do you mean I cannot do that? So I think now I learned also to take risk, but take guarded risk, you know, don't overdo it. You know, like for me, opening a restaurant is risky. It's always risky, but I know pretty well how, by now how to run a restaurant. So to me, it's not risky. If I talk to my lawyer, he said, <laughs> Why you want to take this risk? You know, this can go wrong. This can go wrong. This can go wrong. I said, you know what? Uh, Steve is his name. I said, Steve, if I would listen to you all the time, I would have one restaurant and maybe <laughs> so, I love challenges. I love to do new things. But also it's important, your curiosity, to stay curious, you know, to stay informed in the world. And I tell you, like four years ago or so, the Wall Street Journal did an article on me. And then at the end, they asked me, what is your dream? And, you know, I read this book, actually. But I don't know if you know L.A. Reid. He's in the music business. Yes, he's a legend. L.A. and Babyface. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so L.A. had a book party. He had his uh, biography. And I read his story about... Uh, him going to Harvard when he was 35 years old so he can uh, move up in their record business as an executive. So when I read it, I said, this is amazing. Here's a kid grew up like me, I think in uh, Cincinnati or in Ohio. And then he went to Harvard without going anywhere. And so at the end, when I did this interview for the Wall Street Journal, uh, they asked me, so what is your dreams? What do you still want to do? I said, I want to go to Harvard. As a joke. <laughs> so enough, a few days later, the dean of the business school calls me and says, Wolfgang, when you want to come to Harvard? And wow. I started around, I said, you know, sorry, sir, I didn't never went to college. I said, that's okay. Then I said, I never went to high school. Wow. He said, it's okay, you're running a business. So we have the right program for you, which is called OPM, Owner President's Management. And they have about 160 business people from all over the world, divided in two classes. and uh, for me, it was the best experience. I went to school. I was so nervous. I don't use a computer. I have my assistant who does that. Mm -hmm. And so I went and my son lives in Boston and uh, his wife, they went to have a business school and uh, I had them come over and say, show me how a computer works. And they showed me and I woke up at six in the morning, all nervous. I turned it on, nothing worked. I pushed buttons like crazy. <laughs> and then I just took a folder with a yellow pad in there and a pen. And I walked into the classroom and told the professor, I says, you know, you don't mind if I don't take, if I take notes, I don't have my tablet or things like that. I like to take notes. He said, oh, it's okay. I didn't tell him I don't use a computer, but I said, right. I take notes. I remember everything better, which is actually true. Mm -hmm. So I had this experience spending three months at Harvard. And for me, it was a great learning experience. They have so many great professors and actually quite a few sports people go there too and so forth. Mm -hmm. So it was an interesting experience. Why do I say that? Because I think I'm curious. I always want to learn more. I always want to do more. Absolutely. And that's very well said. And again, I, I truly am honored to have you on the show. And 
as a fan of all of your products and all of your restaurants, I look forward to being one of your celebrity chefs that you can throw a sack of potatoes at in the kitchen and challenge me to be better at trying to cook. Cause I cook, but I need to work on my sides. You know, I'm, I just need to work on my sides. All right, well, 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 again, you teach me how to do a chop chop and I teach you how to cook. Okay. But before I let you get out of here, I do a rapid fire segment called Gone in 60 Seconds. You ready to do this, Wolfgang Puck? You know, but make sure that all your young friends know to watch my beginning because I had all this adversity. And Correct. Our uh, show on Disney Plus, Wolfgang, you know, my documentary is really made and I did it so that the young people really learn that adversity is not an end. You have to overcome it and follow your dreams. Absolutely. Name one up and coming chef we should look out for. Well, I have one on my team. It's a Japanese guy and he is amazing. His name is Tetsu. He is opening our restaurant in Budapest right now, and he is really great. And then I have a chef from Puerto Rico, Sebastian. He is really good. I think he's gonna be a big star. Maybe he wants to go back to his native island there, but I love his food. All of these islands or countries are places you guys are gonna see me in because all I have to do is follow where your restaurants here are. <laughs> yeah. Name one dish you would make if you only had 10 minutes to do so? Oh my God, 10 minutes is too long. What do you mean? Oh, wow, really? Oh, yeah. All right, well, five minutes. Okay, uh, five minutes, you know. There are so many dishes. I love vegetables. So if I have vegetables at home, a little garlic, a little ginger, a little touch of soy sauce, and some steel fried vegetables, maybe if I can find some good tofu, throw that in and eat it. Lots of flavor, very fast. What's the one mistake people make cooking that they should avoid making? People are people make mistakes making things too complicated or not reading a recipe if they want to follow something. They say, oh, I know it already anyway. I had a cooking school. Some of the best cook who said they were best cooks, some who were actually cooking school teachers, they made something up and it was terrible because they said, I know it, I don't have to read the recipe. So read the recipe careful and follow the recipe, especially the first few times. Once you know how to do the technique and everything, then it's easy. But always buy the best ingredients because cooking is about fundamentals and you start with the best ingredients and then don't screw them up. I'm glad you went there because that is my last question. There are a lot of seasonings and broths, but if you can only name one, what is your favorite ingredient? You know, for me, obviously, salt and spices, hot spices, if it's jalapeno, if it's any kind of chilies, I love, I love Asian spices. That chinwa shrimp is to die for. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. I appreciate you joining the program. I'm going to also not only write a column about this interview in the New York Post, but we're also going to send you a framed copy of it to show our gratitude for you taking the time. We appreciate you joining the show, Wolfgang Puck. 
Thank uh, you very much. Thank you so much for having me on your show. You know, and I read your column for a long time already, and I always said, this Jalen Rhodes cannot be the same guy who is a great <laughs> basketball player. And now I know. So thank you so much. And you know, you're an inspiration because you actually went on after your basketball career and started a new career, a new exciting career. I think that's really very, very amazing to me. Thank you very much. Very nice to meet you. Good to meet you. Thank you. Last call. Last call. I'd like to thank Wolfgang Puck for stopping by the Renaissance Man podcast. It was amazing getting to talk to him, especially after having dined at one of his restaurants, two of his restaurants, three of his restaurants, probably each of his restaurants. I'm a major fan. He has entertained and fed so many notable guests, and everyone agrees. He's one of the nicest guys you'll ever meet. It's part of his brand. You don't have to be famous to have a brand and to leave a legacy. What you're doing today will impact those around you. What will you be remembered for? Your humor, your generosity, or even something as superficial as your sense of style? And that's coming from me. I'll call it superficial because, I mean, you know, hey, it's just clothes. So I ask you, what are the things people will remember about you long after you're gone? Try to be mindful of the legacy you're creating by continuing to uplift and inspire. I'm the Renaissance Man. See you next week.